Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast, a ministry of Emmaus Bible College. Each episode is taken from a chapel message given here at Emmaus. For more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. Well, good morning. It's an, it's an honor this morning to, uh, to present to you. It's, um, I speak a lot at our church, and I'll tell you, it's intimidating to be here this morning and have some of my favorite speakers like Raju and JJ and others uh, here to listen. So uh, thank you for this opportunity. Um, as uh, to the seniors, congratulations. You're, uh, you're just two weeks away. So finish strong, uh, but congratulations on, uh, on all of your accomplishments over the last four years. As was already mentioned, I am the father of Lauren, and I'm also the father-in-law of Luca, but more importantly, the father of Lauren. He knows where he sits. <laughs> And, and as was mentioned before, my day job, I worked for a company you might have heard of called Microsoft. Um, and uh, I'm also an elder in our local church and uh, grandfather and uh, father. And I come to you this morning as an elder, uh, as a father, and as a grandfather. You can forget about the business part of it this morning. Uh, Brooks reached out to me a, a few months ago and asked me to speak uh, and after I got up from falling off the chair, I being asked to speak at Emmaus, I, uh, he said he wanted me to speak on one of the Psalms. So I started to kind of read through and say, okay, what's a, what's a good Psalm? He gave me a list of those that have already been kind of taken. And, uh, and I landed on Psalm 32, uh, as Lauren just read. And Psalm 32 is a pretty typical Psalm of David, right? It's a, it's a Psalm of Thanksgiving. Um, what a wonderful, wouldn't that be great to have your name known as somebody who is really good at giving Thanksgiving? I'm thankful for, for David and for his, uh, for his legacy. It's also called a maskil. If you really want to know what that means, ask one of your Bible profs. But my understanding is that it can either mean instruction in godliness, which is what I think he's talking about here, or like it is in Psalm 47, a maskil could be a skillful psalm. And, and David, David starts us with these words in the first two verses. And if you're familiar with the book of Romans, then you've probably heard these verses because Paul quotes them in Romans 4, 7, and 8. It says, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. I appreciate Ray reminding us this morning that Easter was just five days ago. I don't know about you, it seems like a lot longer than that. And the, I don't know about you, Israel and I were talking about this a little bit this morning, but I was so thankful this Easter to actually be able to have Easter like Easter, rather than who's wearing a mask and how are we going to do this over Zoom and all that kind of junk. I was, I was very thankful for that. This reminder of the transgression that has been forgiven. But I, I'd like to go on here in these next three verses. He says, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Now, I'd actually like to focus on kind of the back half of this psalm, but I want to just take a moment here and to think about the beauty of just these five verses. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this in regards to confession. He actually encourages us to go beyond 
confession just to the Lord, which obviously is the first place that we should go and, and critical for us. But he goes on and says, our brother or sister breaks the circle of self-deception. A man who confesses his sins in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone with himself. He experiences the presence of God in the reality of the other person. As long as I'm by myself in the confession of my sins, everything remains in the dark. But in the presence of a brother, the sin has to be brought in the light. He actually goes on to say that it is a mercy that we can confess our sins to a brother. Such grace spares us the terrors of the last judgment. One of my, uh, one of my biggest concerns as an elder at Warrenville Bible Chapel is the depth of relationships and, um, and, and just the, what's the term I'm looking for? The authenticity of those relationships, especially for men. I have an example. Some of you might know my good friend, Christian Snedeker. Christian is the director at Lake Geneva Youth Camp. And uh, Christian, when he was in high school, he went to our church, and my wife and I do the church ministry, or the high school ministry. And, uh, and so I've known Christian for a long time. And Christian and I have been, along with another guy named Larry Keating, have become very close friends. And Christian often, he's done this for a long time, at the end of a, when we would talk, or even in a text, he would, he would say, I love you. To be honest, it made me kind of uncomfortable for a while. But, but I actually, at some point, I started to kind of lean into that love. And that, because that love was expressing a care and concern for my well-being. And it was a, it was a, I started to realize that to be thankful for the transparency in our relationship. It allows Christian and I and, and Larry also to, to be vulnerable when we share with each other. And what a blessing it is to have that safe space with him. And I wonder for you, do you have that? Ladies, you're much better at this than the guys are. But one of the, and, and you are part of a generation that gets a lot of bad press. But this is something that you do really well. And I, I'm so encouraged to see, especially the young men here, and how you are pouring in to authentic relationships. And I would like to encourage you to do that. Bonhoeffer actually goes on to say that the confession of our sin is an act of integrating the inner self in the reality of our outer selves. And it's not just a one-time thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a lifestyle of thanksgiving. It's a lifestyle of confession. It's a lifestyle of forgiveness. It's a posture that we take. At the age of 52, I'm still butting my head against that posture and fighting it every day. But I'd like to encourage you to fight that along with me to see what the Lord has in store, to trust in him. But as I mentioned, that actually wasn't the, the key thing that I wanted to talk about. And let's go on to the, the next few verses of this psalm, because this psalm will, turns into a, a conversation between David and the Lord. We have David still saying here in verses 6 and 7, Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. And then we have the Lord's response in verses 8 to 11. It says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. But he who trusts in the Lord's loving kindness shall surround him. 
Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all who are upright in heart. I've gotten in the habit when I speak to try to look at the text that I'm supposed to be speaking of for several weeks beforehand and read it every day. So in this case, I had the advantage of having a couple of months lead up, and I've been reading Psalm 32 every day, or just about every day, for the last couple months. And the the, the characters that stood out for me in this psalm actually aren't David and the Lord, but it's the horse, the horse and the mule. Now, Lauren is an accomplished horseback rider. She, this is my last picture, Lauren, last picture of you. Uh, Lauren and, and her sister Emily both really enjoyed horseback riding when, when they were younger. And actually, I think it stopped right around your junior year in high school, and you met some guy with a very unhealthy affinity for the Pittsburgh Steelers. (laughs) But Lauren and her older sister, Emily, rode a lot. They were at that barn a couple of days a week. And actually, her her sister, Emily, just graduated from college and and is teaching lessons full-time, just bought her first horse a few months ago. It's actually one of my greatest accomplishments is not buying a horse on my own. I'm very proud that I was able to stay away from them. They're money pits. But... One of the interesting things about Lauren riding horses is that she had this strange love for the horses that nobody else wanted to ride. She, it's, it's not that she was afraid to ride a bigger, faster horse. And she, she had obviously done that at different times. But it's actually kind of a beautiful part of who she is, is that she loves people in the margins, even horses in the margins. What that meant, though, for Lauren often was more work. It's easy to get on the big beautiful, strong horse that knows where it's supposed to go. When you've got the obstinate, slow, somewhat dumb, and usually out of shape horse, it's a lot more work. And, and choosing those horses, again, made her, made her a better rider. Perhaps that's part of the reason why she chose them. But obstinate, slow, somewhat dumb, maybe a little bit out of shape. Unfortunately, those hit home a little bit when I think of myself, but... I'd actually like to to focus a little bit more of our time this morning on how we respond to the Lord's teachings as David is doing in his discussion with the Lord. And I'd like you to keep kind kind of two words in your mind, believing and following. Believing and following. There's no doubt that believing in Christ is a very good thing. It tells us in Romans 10.9, we all If you've done any verse memorization, you have memorized this verse, right? Confessing with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. This verse is a cornerstone of our faith, and it is an important one for us. The the problem is, and again, I'm speaking to you as with my kind of elder parent hat on, is that too often we tend to stop here. We stop at believing And I wonder, going back to the psalm, does the Lord constantly have to use a bit and a bridle to get us to go beyond that and to keep us in check? Because between you and I, this verse and and me doing what I'm supposed to do in this verse costs me very little. Belief, really, it really doesn't cost me very much. And it's the first step in our faith journey but following means so much more. And I'd like you to, to, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 5 in a, in a great interaction with Peter. Amy Hansen is back there thinking, all right, I just heard him mention this last Sunday at Easter. 
But this is a great story, and I'd like, to, I'd like to share it with you again, if you don't mind. In Luke chapter 5, it starts, and we see this. It says, now it happened. And, and I'd encourage you to, I'm going to help you, or try to help you do this. Picture what's happening here. It says, now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Remember that. They're washing their nets. Just keep that in the back of your mind. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little distance from the land. He sat down and continued teaching the crowds from the boat. Now when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon responded and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But I will do as you say and let down the nets. And when they had done this, they caught a great quantity of fish and their nets began to tear. At this moment, Jesus' ministry is in full force. It's, he's starting to gather crowds as we read in this. And there he is on the lake of Gennesaret, and he's, he's, I, I kind of picture him with his back to the water, standing there maybe on the water's edge, and all of these people kind of crowding him. And there's these fishermen over here to the side that are, that are cleaning their nets, and, and he goes to Simon, and he kind of hijacks his boat. He's like, hey, can you, can you take me out a little bit so I can have a little bit more space to work, and that people can hear what I'm saying. So we, we see this boat just off the shore, and we see Simon probably sitting there watching Jesus give what was probably a pretty good sermon. And then, and then the Lord, he asks Simon to do something that's just totally impractical. He says, put out in the deep water and let your nets for a catch. Again, what was, I asked you to remember this, what was Peter doing? When the Lord asked him, this is the response part. What was he doing? He was washing his nets. Well, you, you don't wash your nets before you go out. You wash your nets when you're done, right? He had been out all night, he and these other fishermen, and they had caught zip, nothing. And the Lord says, take those clean nets that you're going to want to use again tonight and take those and go out into the water. And Peter, or Simon, actually replies. He says, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. There's a, the impracticality of what the Lord Jesus is asking him to do. Because we're not in this type of environment, I think, can go over us. Imagine what Simon probably felt like at this time. He's tired. He's super frustrated. Right? He didn't catch anything. He's, he's doing something he probably, I can't imagine cleaning his nuts was one of the fun things that he got to do. And this was going to cost him. This is going to cost him time. This is going to cost him money. It's not like he was just going to kind of turn to the other side while they're in the shallow water and just throw the nuts in. Lord Jesus said, go out into the deep water. He didn't have some master marine engine on the back of this boat, right? He had to row all the way out, probably hours out, to go and to let down the nets. But, but Peter's reply here, these, these to me are the, these seven words of the difference between believing and following. But I will do as you say. But I will do. It's easy to say that in good times. When you're tired and frustrated, I love that Simon Peter says this. You know, there's, there's an unfair assumption that because you go to a Bible college that your trajectory with the Lord and that your relationship with Him is always up and to the right, right? Everything's going great. And you're only going to continue to grow. But keep in mind that the Peter, the Simon that we're talking about here becomes Peter, 
who denied the Lord Jesus three times, or we're talking about David, whose transgressions with Bathsheba and in killing her husband was pretty bad. But that's still what Jesus is calling out for them, and he's calling for you and I. But I will do as you say. Can you say that with me? But I will do as you say. It's an unquestioned willingness to respond to the Lord's calling. Even an impractical one. What we need, what we need in our churches, what we need at this school, what we need as you go out on the mission field or whatever you go to do is we need more Christians who live this, but I will do as you say. I reached out to my coworkers last Friday on Good Friday, and I told them that I was speaking at our church that Sunday, and if anybody was interested, I would send them the YouTube video. We had a, we had a new guy join our team. Um, uh, he actually just started on Wednesday, but he had been with the company for a while, and his name's Brian. And, and Brian and I were kind of chatting online, and he, uh, he asked me to send that to him. And I asked him, I said, I go, are you a churchgoer? I was trying to I was trying to think of a way, because you do have to be a little bit careful in the business context of like, hey, are you a Jesus follower? Like, at a guy I don't really know very well, I just, I wanted to kind of ask him, he said, well, I grew up a pastor's kid, but no, not a church kid. I said, well, I, again, I just spoke this past Sunday, if you're interested, I'd love to hear it. I'd love to hear it. We talked the next day, and he said, well, he said he grew up in an assembly of God, and his, again, his father was a pastor. But he had seen so many Christians who, as Brennan Manning would say, acknowledge Jesus with their lips and deny him by their lifestyle. He had seen so many that had done that, that his faith just wasn't there. Just wasn't there any longer. It's because he, he's interacted with very few, but I will do as you say, Christians. The week, the Sunday before Easter, so I, I spoke at our church the last two Sundays, and the Sunday before Easter, on Palm Sunday, uh, after church, I, before we went to youth group that night, I took uh, our dog Titus uh, for a walk. And I was walking through our old neighborhood. It's about a mile away. And uh, I saw a friend of mine that I went to college with, that I knew lived there, um, in his garage, watching the Masters on a big, like, 70-inch TV in his garage. I'm not, I don't know many people that have that. Watching the Masters and doing some woodwork. And his name's CJ. And CJ is He's one of those people that, I, I said we're friends, I probably more like we're just friendly, right? We don't really know each other very well. But, um, but I just kind of go up with Titus and I said, hey, CJ, how you doing? He's like, I'm okay. I'm like, all right, what does that mean? And it was, I, I could sense the Lord kind of saying, like, press in here, right? What does that mean? So I asked him that and he said, my wife Heather left me three months ago. And his daughters, two got, uh, one daughter's getting married in a couple months, the other one is at, uh, at uh, a local community college. Uh, neither of them will talk to him. And it, 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 it seems, again, from kind of one side of the story, I'm just getting it from CJ, but it, it seems like his, his wife has kind of gone off the rails, and she had him admitted into the hospital, in the psychiatric hospital. The police raided his house. Like, it's, it's bad. And I was, I was, he ruined my walk. Right, I'm out there, I'm there with him for half an hour, so my walk was ruined. So I was kind of, I was walking home from there, and, and the whole time I'm thinking about CJ, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, you've got to get serious about your neighbor. Like, my neighbor in this beautiful home 
right next to me, this guy who looks like he's got it all, is, is just devastating. And I, I never would have known it. And I, I, I want to experience this, but I will do as you say type of faith. And that means, that means kind of diving in on relationships like this. He and I actually went to dinner the next night and we spent some time together. It was a great time to get to know him a little bit more, but to understand the depth of his hurt and how the Lord is actually using this to, to change him. He's recognizing that his walk with Christ was, was not what it should have been. And he's, he's so desperately, he sent me and uh, several others a note yesterday and said his wife filed for divorce and that's, that comes due in 33 days. He says, I want all of you praying for me every day for 33 days to see if the Lord can restore this. And I'm thankful to do that. But too often I'll just kind of go by and I'll, I'll forget about that. And I won't want to engage. I don't want to talk to my neighbors sometimes. But I'm reminded of this. One of, my, one of my favorite chapters in Scripture is John chapter 17. Jesus is in, is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the reason why I love that chapter is at the end of it, um, what we have is Jesus praying for you and I. Right? He's saying, you know, Father, protect those. Or I can't remember the exact words, but for those who will believe through the disciples' word. I love that. But, but the first verse of John 17, 1, or John 17 says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Isn't that, in a sense, Jesus saying, Father, I will do as you say? Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. I'd like to go back for a moment to the example that we had of horseback riding. Does anybody know, Lauren can't answer this, what kind of horse this is? Yeah. What was that? Lip is honor? Lip, yeah, sure. Lip is honor. Lip is, yeah. Most beautiful horse you're ever going to see. There's, a, there's actually a, um, a farm that has Lip is honor horses uh, just north of Great America in the Chicagoland area that, uh, that I've been to a few times. Uh, I don't think Lauren's been up there, uh, but I went up with her sister, Emily. These are some of the most beautiful animals you will ever see. You walk past them and their power and their majesty is undeniable. And as you watch them, this is jumping on purpose, as you can tell. As you watch them with a well-trained rider, it's as if the horse and the rider are one. There's, they, they can instinctively know what the rider wants them to do by very small cues and commands. And in a sense, they're they're one with this writer. I think that's Peter's heart that we read in Luke. But I will do as you say. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the, if the world saw us as they saw this writer in this beautiful horse, but they saw us in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ in, in just knowing the smallest of cues and what He would want for us and following Him in a way that would that would be a light to those around us, that would convict them of their sins. It would show them what true faith, true faith looks like. And I want to be clear here. Christianity is not a kind of pick yourself up by the bootstrap type of thing. This is, this is dependent on the Holy Spirit and guiding us. This is dependent on the God's Word molding us. But it's also dependent on our willingness to go, our willingness to do. 
I promise you that if you do that, that he will fulfill his end of the bargain. With this commitment, but I will do as you say. For those of you that are graduating uh, here, I hope that whatever you do, that you would do this. For those of you who are just going home for the summer and coming back, may this be an encouragement to you. For those of you that are looking for a college, wherever you go, I pray that this would be an encouragement to you. And I hope, I hope that you would consider this place. I am, I am not an alum of Emmaus, but I, I do have made some investments here. And, uh, and I am very thankful for this place. They are changing lives here. I'm very thankful. for Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for David. Father, he was a man who was screwed up in so many different ways. Yet, Father, we read that he was a man after your own heart. We thank you that you are not looking for perfection in our lives, but Father, you are looking for those who desire to honor you. For those who would be like Simon Peter and say, but I will do as you say. But Father, we recognize that we cannot do that on our own power or Doing that on our own power will only fail. So, Father, I would ask for your Holy Spirit to be working within us. That, Father, yes, we would bring this desire, but that you would take your Holy Spirit and the truth of your Scripture and other Christians around us, Father, that we might turn this upside-down world, that we might turn it upside-down for you. Father, we live in a world that so desperately needs to see genuine Jesus followers because they desperately want to see you. So may we not live lives that would get in the way of that, that would cause consternation for them. But Father, may we live lives that would bring glory and honor to your Son. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit Emmaus.edu slash partner.